Hello, this is Pod Academy and I'm Tess Woodcraft. Journalism and, and how we interact with it is changing. But what exactly are those changes and do they matter? I caught up with Professor Angela Phillips, author of Journalism in Context, just before she was due to speak at the 2015 Future of Journalism conference in Cardiff. I'm interested in the way in which news journalism is changing and in particular how news audiences are changing in relation to changes in the industry. So I've looked at audiences in my book, Journalism in Context, but I've also been looking at young audiences, young news audiences in, a, um, in an international context to see how young people are accessing news. So what's been happening with journalism? Since the rise of the internet, there have been big changes, not only in how news journalism is produced, but also in how it is consumed. And these two things are kind of in lockstep. At the end of the last century, the beginning of this one, there were a lot of people who were very enthusiastic about the kind of changes. They saw um, the internet as being a means of democratising news. They saw audiences being much more involved in news production and they talked about journalists becoming less elitist, more involved in their audiences and that that journalism would become much more of a collaborative process. And to a certain extent that's happened, hasn't it? We see, for example, the the Shoreham Air Show, ordinary people's videos of the crash. In very marginal ways, this prosumer revolution, the idea of of the consumer that also produces, has come to pass, but not in in anything like the way in which those web enthusiasts imagined it would. What we have today is people, bystanders, with cameras. So whereas before journalists would have gone and interviewed people about what they saw... Um, and it would have been sort of secondary, second-hand information. Now, in the, if there is a big event, like an air crash, like a bombing, there will always be people in the vicinity who have camera phones and, and will very often put that information into social media where journalists can access it. But actually, this is, doesn't make them journalists. They are still sources, And although that information moves around, maybe on Twitter or on Facebook or on YouTube, most of what happens is that it is curated by journalists who bring it together and construct a narrative around the information and then repackage it in a different place, in a different way. So although one can look... So really it is not collaborative. What we're seeing is... Journalists who in many ways have more power than they used to have. They have the power to find their way into places where they would never never otherwise have managed to be. The likelihood of a journalist being in the right place at the right time when a bomb goes off are minuscule. So the difference we have is that we now have access to pictures in particular that we didn't have access to before. That doesn't really fundamentally change the job of journalist or the relationship between journalist and audience in any way. (coughs) Certainly if you are on social media and you are interested in news, the chances are that you will get some of this information via social media. 
But what is interesting to me is looking at who gets what information and just how democratic this process is. Because when you look at the overall statistics, not very much has changed in any fundamental way. You still find that the major traditional news sources that always were major tra traditional news sources, which are the biggest newspapers, which, you know, the New York Times, the Daily Mail in this country, um, surprisingly, actually, the Guardian, which has really leapt up the rankings, and the BBC, and in America, the major broadcasters, are always in the top ten of the, of the rankings for where do, what are people looking at. So we're still seeing the same major titles being the major purveyors of news. But one or two very important things have happened. One is that they have become more monopolistic than they were before. So that on the world stage, when you look at Google or you look at your Facebook page, you're actually only seeing a minute amount of what is available. And you're most likely to see what is most popular. So that we now have a situation where, where what we see... That's the news feeds on This on is Facebook. news feeds, but yeah. it isn't just news feeds, it's also what is, what is passed around in social media. We tend to see, both and through social media and through Google, and through doing Google searches, we see the posts that are the most popular posts. So we're seeing, actually, if anything, a narrower, a smaller number of possible news sources than we did before. So the idea that we would all be thoughtful news consumers, that we would all find out that something had happened and then go online and look at lots of different sources to try and get a rounded view, that really doesn't happen, except for a very small minority of people. The majority of people are still getting their news mediated by the same organisations that they always did, but the less, pop less popular organisations are dropping through the holes, so they no longer exist. But aren't they being replaced by things like blogs and so on? Isn't there a sort of an undergrowth of journalism that, that is perhaps unpaid? What's the total of all of that? What does that add up to? Well, we're looking still, rather than looking at totals, which I think isn't kind of helpful, we need to look at the size of the audience in relation to the, the information being produced. There are a very small number of voluntary, often hyper-local news websites, which are relatively successful. But most people in this country are completely, are not plugged into local news at all. We have an atrocious um, delivery of local news. We have, at the last studies that I looked at, something between 17 and 19% of people look at local news regularly and nearly always on television. And if you see local news on television, you get very little local news because lo local television news is actually regional. So the local newspapers are in crisis in this country, in, in the UK, less so in other countries. The UK and countries are very different in the way in which news is produced and consumed. That's one of the things that I think is really important to look at. Here in the UK, our local news delivery system has all but collapsed. It doesn't serve local communities very well. 
Similar problems have arisen in America, and this is to do with the way in which local news has been bought up by monopoly providers who, rep- who provide news for whole regions, and they therefore don't really serve local populations very well. We have quite a competitive national news in this country, um, but it's still the old competitors. Very few of what we would call web-native news Providers have broken through. The Huffington Post has, BuzzFeed has, and Vice. But that isn't an enormous amount. In, when you think of people's ambitions, if you like, for, for, for internet news, the big problem that everybody comes up against is that we have no, no means of funding serious news. So that... We get things like BuzzFeed, which are able to, to survive because they have huge audiences. But the huge audiences are mainly for their kind of joke news. People will pass around joke news on Facebook and pictures of cats and celebrity and things of that kind. And so they are able to sell around that and to sell video advertising around that and do sponsorship around that. And to their credit... BuzzFeed has now begun to include more and more serious news in the mix, but it's supported by a huge amount of trivia. The Huffington Post still operates very largely as a comment space, which is fine, but it isn't really the best place to get news of what's actually happening in the world. So the provision of news that's actually happening in the world is being produced by a smaller and smaller core of people who have real worry, and we have real worries about how that will continue to be funded because local journalism has always been where news bubbled up, where it arose, where it would be pushed up to the upper layers of the national news. And if your local news provision is in trouble, it's difficult to know how the news will bubble up to the top. And you do need to have people on the beat, people who do it on a regular, daily, boring, perhaps, basis, because they're the only ones who are going to notice differences and changes and see what's really happening at local level. But why does this matter if, as appears to be the case, fewer and fewer of us are interested in serious news? Does that matter? The question of whether news matters, I think, is a question of whether democracy matters. I think it's that important. I think the fact that we have inadequate news provision at local level in this country, in the UK, is profoundly important for democracy because we elect our representatives at local level. If you don't have news provision at local level, how do people find out what their local MP is doing? How do they know anything about their local MP? How do they understand how their council is operating? One of the young people I interviewed in the UK came from what I would call a media-rich home. He was really well-informed. He was incredibly well-informed about the Ukraine and what was happening there, and he knew a lot about what was happening in Ferguson, USA, but he didn't know that there was going to be in the local election the following month. This was something he felt very embarrassed about and I felt very worried about because his news choices meant that he was not being informed about what was happening in his own country. If we believe that democracy is about an informed citizenship who elects people who they believe will work for them, we need to have the means by which those people can be held to account 
And we need to have the means by which people can check on them before they vote. And that is such a basic, it is the basic build, building block of democracy. Democracy doesn't work without it. Journalism or journalists are called the fourth estate, aren't they? We do sometimes refer to journalists as the fourth estate. And I think that it's, it's, it's actually not OK that the, in the UK something in the region of 25 to 30% of people in, in surveys say that they're not interested in news. That's a very large chunk of people who are not actually seriously involved in democracy. And research that's done in the States has found that we've, we're seeing more and more division, and this is what's happening online. We have more and more division between what they call news junkies who read everything and news avoiders who read nothing. The trouble is that the news junkies tend to be people who are very polarised in their views. So they'll be very, very enthusiastic about one, pers one pers point of view or very enthusiastic about another point of view, whereas the majority of news avoiders are actually much more equable in the way in which they think about politics. So what we're doing is we're seeding politics to people who are most likely to, to disagree with each other. But, but so many of the newspapers and so much of our news output is owned by people with a point of view anyway. It's, it's never been a sort of a wonderful nirvana of, of, of fairness and truth and, and whatever, has it? No, there is no question about the fact that we have problems. I mean, the press has always pretty much defended the status quo. Um, and I think that the question of, of trying to get new voices, which is what we hope would happen when the internet first opened up, is still an ongoing problem. But in doing the research, uh, doing our research into young people and how they access news, the thing that I found most worrying was that the, a lot of the young people didn't even know enough about what was going on to be able to then go and do research into whether or not the newspapers were biased or not. If you don't know what's happening, you cannot research it. it that's sort of step one. Now, if you know what's happening and you are reasonably switched on, you are then able to say, well, actually, my experience would tell me that if all the um, underground workers are coming out on strike, that they probably have a reason for doing so. Now, I want to go and find out what that reason is. Now, if you're a reasonably switched on human being, it's very easy to do that. You can check your Daily Mail report, find out what the union involved is, go to that union's website and find out what the union's point of view is, because probably the union's point of view will not have been discussed on the Daily Mail website. But if you don't know that there's going to be a strike, not only will you not find out anything about it, but you will turn up at the tube station on Monday morning trying to go to work and won't realise there are no trains. So... I've always, I divide news into different categories, and I think there is something which I refer to as vanilla news, which is a basic level of knowledge which every citizen needs in order to function in a democracy, and actually to function. You need to really know a little bit about what's going on. And there are some academics, like um, Michael Schutzen, who's an American academic, who's written about the fact that we don't all need to know what's going on, because we can depend on information to drift towards us through our various networks, and we'll always know in the end. And certainly amongst 
the young people I interviewed, there was one person in particular who simply said, well, if anything really important happens, I'm sure it will bubble up to the top of YouTube. But actually, this doesn't work. One of the things that we've discovered, I discovered certainly for the, looking at UK students, is that a lot of them were very dependent on social networks to get news, but and were completely unaware of the fact that the news they were getting was very sort of what I would call soft news. They were getting a lot of celebrity news. They were getting weather news. They were getting news about crime. And they were particularly, the young women in particular, were likely to get news about crime that relates to young women. But they wouldn't necessarily know there was an election coming up. Because that doesn't get into Facebook. It doesn't get passed around. So if you don't know that there's an election next month, how will you even know enough to make sure you've registered to vote, let alone know how to find out about the candidates. You need to be at information level one in order to move up to maybe information level nine. But if you're not getting number one, you are excluded from the conversation completely. And what's particularly worrying about what's happening is that most of the research indicated that in those countries where there was public service broadcasting there was a much higher general level of, of audience news knowledge. People had a vague idea of what was going on. The research that was done uh, about five, six years ago indicated that in America there was much, much lower levels of news knowledge, particularly amongst black and working class people. There, because there is no um, regulated um, public broadcasting, the public broadcasting in America is... Small, very small and not really part of the mix. If you went over to Scandinavia, where you not only have public broadcasting, but you also have publicly subsidised newspapers to ensure some kind of political balance, news, le- news knowledge levels did not vary according to class and education. And that is pretty astonishing, that if you live in one, of the, in, in one of the Nordic countries, the chances are whether you were a railway worker who had left school at 18 or an MA student, you would be able to answer the same questions about what was in the news. That simply doesn't happen in America, where news knowledge and education level are absolutely bound up. We in the UK were kind of halfway in between. Our news knowledge in the UK was not as good as Scandinavia, but a bit better than America. We are more polarised here. Um, And that's one of the reasons why when we looked at how young people find news, we wanted to do international comparisons about how young people find news. And we find that the way in which news is delivered, that the national system in in which news is delivered is very, very important to the degree to which young people feel if you like, a duty to be informed. Um, Our Norwegian students were far more likely to look at their local newspapers online. They were much more linked in to a news agenda. But interestingly enough, they were also more likely than the UK students to read papers from other countries. So their news knowledge didn't just mean that they were more um, news aware and that they were were more interested in hard news. 
they were also more likely to be adventurous in where they got information from. So what do you think are the implications of all this? I, I think in the UK we really need to look very hard at the way in which social media is overtaking um, our publicly funded broadcasting as the stepping stone to news. And we have to think about what that means. We have to... There are people who see Facebook as being the likely possible um, successor to television for providing people with their basic news knowledge. My concern would be that if we were to allow that to happen, we would end up with an incredibly polarised public where we have well-educated people who are very knowledgeable with access to a lot of information and a growing number of people who are completely disconnected from politics. I think that's dangerous for the future of politics. I think that it leads to much greater polarisation. I think it would lead to more polar, greater polarisation in politics, to a more polarised politics. And I think it's something that we really need to start talking about. I don't think I have a ready-made solution, but we certainly need to be thinking about it as a problem for the future.